In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 11, starting from verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. This is not the first time Jesus was invited to dine in a home of a Pharisee. He accepted many invitations. For example, Simeon the Pharisee uh, and the sinful woman who washed the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with her teeth. And another Pharisee, his name is Simon. When the other woman actually poured the precious uh, nardine oil on his head. And this is another time in which a Pharisee invited the Lord Jesus Christ to dine with him. Uh, in this passage, we will see how our Lord read the thoughts of his host, who is critical of our Lord Jesus Christ because he did not observe the custom of ritual purification of washing his hand before the meal. But I want to, clear, to clarify this ritual. This is not to say that the Lord Jesus Christ did not have clean hands. Definitely not. But there was a right for the Pharisees to dip one's hand in water. And this not for the purpose to wash them and to clean them, but to emphasize the internal righteousness after they pray and bless the food and washing away any contamination uh, from that is ritually unclean. So what actually he criticized the Lord Jesus Christ for was not the hygienic washing of hands before eating. It was not about this. But it was a right to dip your hand completely in, in the water after you pray and bless the food to say that I am internally clean. I am internally pure. And if I did anything ritually unclean, for example, I touched a dead body or I walked on a tomb or something that make the person ritually unclean according to the Jewish tradition, by dipping their hands completely in the water, this means, you know, I am internally righteous. Uh, and I like to bring your attention here that in spite of the increased conflict between our Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisee, and this conflict is from the Pharisee's side because our Lord is king of peace. They opposed him 
and the, uh, يعني if, if you studied the Gospel of St. Luke from the beginning until chapter 11, you will see how many opposition happened from religious leaders. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not hate them in return. Rather, when anybody from the Pharisees or the religious leaders invited the Lord Jesus Christ to his house, he accepted the invitation in hope that one day or one of them, his heart may change. Uh, but I think after you hear what the Lord said in his house, maybe it is possible that the Pharisee regretted his invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 38, when the Pharisee saw it, that he did not wash his hand, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. So, as I said, the Lord Jesus Christ was not unhygienic when he had not first washed before dinner. But he did not follow the extremely technical and rigid requirements of ceremonial washing practiced by many pious Jews and by the Pharisees. Verse 39. Then the Lord read his mind, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. So the Lord here is contrasting a clean outer cup or dish, but it is filthy within. And he contrasts this with the condition of the Pharisees, who appear outwardly righteous. They clean their hands from outside before they eat, but inwardly they neglect to purify their souls through repentance of their sins and acts of mercy that would truly cleanse the inner life. So, the Lord is trying to tell them what will make you pure, not the outward cleansing, but the inward cleansing. That's why in verse 40 he told them, foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? If God actually is the one who made the outside and the inside. Why you focus only on the outside and neglect the inside? To show off, to appear righteous before people? So, as if the Lord is trying to tell them, in spite of your extreme care for the vessels of your table, your whole moral life is unclean, and defiled. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? If these re religious leaders were concerned about 
cleansing their heart as they are concerned about washing their hands, they would be godly men. But they are concerned about outwardly cleansing, but they neglect their hearts from being pure. God is the creator of life, and he created man to be holy externally and internally. Then the Lord in verse 41 told them, but rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. So the Lord is diagnosing here why they see, they see others unclean. Why their perception of others unclean? Why they criticize the Lord Jesus Christ? Because they don't have love in their hearts. Love is manifested by giving alms, charitable deeds. And by the way, sometimes the word charitable deeds or charity and love are exchangeable in the scripture. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in some translation, you will read the charity, and in some translation, you will read the love. So these are exchangeable, because love will be manifested through charitable deeds. So the Lord is telling them, you know why you are not pure? Because your heart doesn't have love. But if you give alms, if you give everything you have, alms, this loving activity will then make your entire ceremonial purification uh, superfluous for you. But there is another explanation. What is the, 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 the cup is symbolizing the person. Cleansing the cup from outside, it is the external purification. But if I give the content of the cup, if I, if I give all what I have, because the heart can be preoccupied with money, so if I give this as arm, as a charitable deeds, if I give as arm the content of the cup and the platter, then everything will be clean, even without uh, washing. It is love that purifies, not the ceremonial acts. What defines a person is selfishness, but what purifies a person is the unselfish love. Then the Lord starts to give them other examples of their hypocrisy and how they pay attention to external Purification, not internal. So he gives them another example in verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So the master who is tender and considerate, 
does not blame this exaggerated perfectionism. When they get some mint, they say, we need to pay the tithe of this mint to the synagogue. When they get some roux or camel or herb, they will say, I will give the tenth of it, the tithe of it to the temple. So the Lord here is not blaming their exaggerated perfectionism. And if these tithes are done to satisfy their distorted partial conscience, the Lord said, yes, I am okay with it. Nothing wrong with it. But what he does find fault with is that this substitution of and the clear preference of this lower duty for the higher duty. What is the higher duty? The higher duty is love, justice, and love of God. So they calm their conscience. They say, we paid the tithe of the mint and roe and herbs. Now I did all my obligation. I did all my duties. Although these duties are lower, not higher, and pass by the justice and the love of God. So this substitution of the lower duty for the higher duty, this what is faulty. And the Lord spoke harshly here, but it is not language of personal irritation, but this is a divine warning and condemnation. Their tithing was meticulous and not worthy, but hypocritical in nature because it served to calm, to soothe the guilt of their neglect of the justice and the love of God. So, another example of their hypocrisy and their pride and arrogance. He told them, Woe to you Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. So, the seats in the synagogue were in semi-circle around the pulpit of the reader. So, they, they are seated in a semicircle around the pulpit, so they are facing the congregation. And here the Lord is condemning them for the sin of pride and arrogance by expected to be seated in the best seats during public worship and to be first to be greeted in the marketplaces. For them, it is all about observance of their rank and privilege in Jewish society. So when the Lord told them hypocrites, because they were actors, they just playing a part, but internally they are not living what they pretend to the people. Then he told them in verse 44, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves, which are not seen, 
and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So, here the Lord exposed the corruption that was covered by spiritual image of righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. If there is a grave, and you don't know that there is a grave here, what's inside the grave is dead bones. But when you see it from outside, because you don't know it's a grave, maybe there's roses and, and, and flowers. So you see it beautiful from outside, but you don't know that there is dead bones inside. That's why he said, you are like these graves. These religious leaders loved giving the impression that they were so spiritual, like these graves covered with roses. But they actually defiled everyone who came in contact with. Because according to the Jewish tradition, if you walk on a grave, even if you don't know that this is a grave, you are defiled. This was the rule. Walking over a grave, ceremonially defiled a Jewish person, even if they did not know it was there, the grave was there. Now we can understand the resemblance here. So, an unmarked grave is not readily discernible as a source of uncleanness. Because I don't know that there is a grave here. It's exactly like a Pharisee who is not easily detected as unclean. Because from outside, he's righteous. But from inside, he is unrighteous. So it's exactly like the, the grave. Inside the dead body, inside the grave, and but from outside, you can see roses and flowers. So there was one of the lawyers sitting there. By the way, lawyers, when you read it in the scripture, doesn't mean attorney. Lawyer, people who interpret the law. So this was class of the people who studied the law, and they can interpret the law. So one of the lawyers answered and said to him, teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. So this lawyer thought that Jesus could not possibly mean to reflect on the honored class who interpret the law. So he wanted to make sure that he is speaking about the Pharisees only, not about this class, this high class, honored class of the lawyers. Uh, actually, if this lawyer kept quiet, the Lord wouldn't tell him anything. But now he drew attention to himself. So the Lord actually addressed him. In verse 46, the Lord said, and he said, Woe to you also, lawyers. For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden 
with one of your fingers. So, because of the way they interpreted the law, this expert in the law of Moses laid heavy burden on people. And just, I give you an example. When they told the people, if you walk on a grave, even if you don't know it is grave, you are defiled. This is a heavy burden. So they added many more details to the commandments and the prohibitions of the law. They wrongly used the scripture as a tool of control and oppression while they are avoiding their responsibility before the Lord. So the Lord rebuked them and told them, you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself don't touch the burden with one of your fingers. These commandments are for the people, not for us. So we put all these commandments on you, but we are exempted from these prohibitions. 47, the Lord told them, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For you approve that your fathers killed the prophet. For they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. So by building the tombs and of the, of the prophets, they, approve, they prove that their fathers killed these godly prophets. So, out of pretended respect and honor to the prophets, they repaired and beautified the tombs of the prophets. And with hypocrisy, they said, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So, by building the tombs, they are convicting themselves daily of as exact a resemblance in spirit and character to the very classes over whose deeds they disapproved. Meaning, the Lord is told them one generation killed the prophets of God. And the next generation, their children, honor the dead prophets by building a tomb in their memory in hopes of making amends of the action of their ancestors. So they are saying, our fathers are murderers of godly men. So as if they are saying, they are the sons of the murderers 
of the prophets. So he said in verse 49, Therefore the wisdom of God also said, Who is the wisdom of God that's speaking? It is the hypostasis of the Son. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles. You said, our fathers killed the prophet and this was wrong. Now we are building their tombs. So the wisdom of God said, okay, I will send you now prophets and apostles. What are you going to do with them? And some of them, they will kill and persecute. And this is what happened. They killed John the Baptist. They killed through Herod. They killed the Lord Jesus Christ. They killed most of the apostles, except John the theologian. And they killed many Christians, like St. Stephen. All these were killed by Jews. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, from Abel the righteous, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. So, who is the wisdom of God? Is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, now they are currently conspiring against the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be successful in their plan. And they will kill and crucify him. So the Lord prophesied here that these leaders who detested the acts of their fathers, the murderers of the prophets, that's why they were building the tombs of the prophet. Now they will complete the rejection of the prophets. Their father began by persecuting and killing the, the prophets, and now they continue the deeds of their fathers by persecuting his disciples, and they killed all the disciples except John. And many, many Christians, as I told you, as St. Stephen. And verse 50, when he told them that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. Verse 50 here is a remarkable condemnation from Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Maybe somebody will say it's unfair that God required from this generation all the blood from the time of Abel the righteous until now. But these people rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and prophets. So, they will face a greater, unique accountability and condemnation. Because if they killed Jesus, they killed the Lord of all these prophets who carried all our sins. So by killing Jesus himself, it is very fair that all the blood that was shed from Abel to uh, Christ will be required from their hands.
So Jesus here spoke of all the righteous martyrs of the Old Testament. Abel was clearly the first and Zechariah was the last. Uh, Zechariah, there is two opinions here. One opinion say it was the Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, whom actually the soldiers of Herod killed him between the altar and the temple. But there is another Zechariah in Second Chronicles who was also killed between the altar and the temple. So some scholars say he is the father of John the Baptist. Other scholars say he is the other Zechariah in Second Chronicles. But regardless, the Lord is saying, the holy prophets have been persecuted and murdered throughout the course of salvation history. But this time in particular, they have rejected more than a human prophet. They rejected the Lord himself. His generation rejected the promised Messiah, God himself, the one to whom all of the sacred writing and the history of Israel has pointed. So their condemnation and their judgment will be more than any uh, judgment. That's why they will bear the burden of the sins of all the past generations for the persecution and murder of the prophets who came before him. And because all these prophets, why they were killed? Because they prophesied about the Messiah. That's why they were killed. So those who will kill the Messiah, the blood of this prophet will also be required at their hand. Verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. So these lawyers, they were called doctors of law, in the full sense of the term. And how actually they were admitted to their office, they actually symbolically give them a key. So in their inauguration, they give them a key. Key of knowledge, key of interpreting the law. So whatever they say, it goes. So the lawyers have obscured and destroyed the true knowledge of the Messiah. Instead of, like the prophets, point to the Messiah, they obscured this knowledge. And the Messiah is indeed the key, who has the key of David, the key, both of the present and the future kingdom of heaven. The kingdom here on earth, the kingdom of God on earth, because we are living in the kingdom of Christ on earth, and the kingdom in heaven. So who is the key 
is Jesus. Jesus is the key to the kingdom on earth, kingdom of Christ on earth, and kingdom in heaven. But by their wrong interpretation of the scripture, they have filled the people with a strong prejudice against the word of God. So, they not only rejected themselves, but hindered others from receiving the word of knowledge. So they became a stumbling block to others. It is bad for someone to not enter the heaven himself, but it is far worse to hinder another person from entering it. That's why the Lord said, Woe to those by whom offenses come. It's better for them to hang many stones around their neck and be drowned because they not only will not enter, but also they hinder others from entering the kingdom of heaven. Verse 53, And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. So instead of accepting the word of the Lord Jesus Christ with humility and repent and return back to God, without realizing they proved his accusation by following the example of their forefathers. Their forefathers, when the prophets rebuked them, they killed them. And now they are repeating the history. When the Lord Jesus Christ is rebuking them, instead of repenting, now they start to wait lying in wait to catch him with a word that they might accuse him. So they immediately began planning the Lord's destruction. They could not arrest him for speaking against them. This is not enough accusation to arrest him. But they were looking for opportunity to accuse him officially of blasphemy, heresy or law-breaking, something in order to be able to kill him. The religious leaders responded the way many do, many of us do, when we are faced with correction and the truth of God. For example, if my spiritual father corrected me, I will avoid him and I will think about switching to another spiritual father, because I don't accept correction. So instead of humbly receiving the correction, they responded with outraged accusation. And here I want to give you the example of two kings, King David and King Herod. Both of them did something wrong. David committed adultery and murder. Herod married his brother's wife. And God sent to both of them prophets 
rebuke them. God said, actually, a prophet that was not famous and we don't know a lot about him, Nathan, to rebuke David. And God sent a very famous man, John the Baptist. Everybody honored him. Everybody respected him. Even Herod respected him, the Bible says, knowing that he is holy and godly man. So, these two prophets rebuked and corrected these two kings. Although Nathan was not famous, but when he rebuked David and told him, you are the man, David repented in tears and returned, returned back to God. But John the Baptist, when he rebuked King Herod, Herod did not repent. What did he do? He killed John the Baptist. Exactly like the reaction of the religious leaders. So in our life, are we doing like David or doing like Herod? Do we kill John the Baptist? Not literally, but avoiding a word of correction, avoiding the person, or slandering him, or throwing stones against him. All these are different reactions, like Herod when he uh, killed John the Baptist. But blessed David, when he listened to the rebuke of Nathan, David, until now, we remember him and we honor him. And we say in every divine liturgy from Psalms, of our teacher, David, the pure prophet, the pure prophet. And we describe him with purity because repentance purified him from his sin. So may the Lord grant us a heart that accepts correction for our edification and for our repentance. This actually concludes chapter 11 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.